Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Motley Fool's uh, industry-focused financial edition, where we try to make jokes about finance, and they almost never work. Uh, this week, we're going to have a super interesting episode because we're going to be talking about bank earnings, which is everyone's favorite topic. And in order to kick us off, we're going to talk a little bit about how banks work and how to analyze bank earnings. So banks, at their most basic, what they do is they borrow money at a lower interest rate than they lend it out. That's exactly right. So, so let's just start just, just for brand new investors. Every quarter, publicly traded companies report earnings just to kind of give their shareholders kind of an update on what's going on. So the, and, and so the question is, well, first, like, where do you get that information? The second part is, you know, what you actually look for when these companies report. Because some of their earnings releases are like 60 pages long. Absolutely. Particularly- um, especially the big ones, right? That's exactly right. I mean, because they have so many different. Wells Fargo has something like ninety different business lines, and you know, you got to like kind of go through each one of those uh, to, to give your because shareholders are your owners. You got to give them give them all that information, right? And uh, luckily for investors, it's really easy to get this information. Um, if you want to get the earnings reports, all you have to do is go to the bank's investor relations site, and it should be right up there at the top as soon as they publish it. And then the other part of this that I think um, some people maybe don't know about is there are also call transcripts where the CEOs kind of discuss the earnings for that quarter. And those are also easy to find. I'm going to plug our competitor here. Um, Seeking Alpha almost always has call transcripts. Not always, but it's, it's really worthwhile to go through them yourself, don't you think? I agree with you 100%. And, and yeah, so you, if you can just go and you get that earnings release, like Gabby is saying, from the from the the banks or whatever publicly traded companies from their investor relations website, you read through that, uh, or can just kind of pick through it, um, and then you go, you look at the conference call transcript, then you, you should you should have a really good idea about about what happened um, in the previous quarter. So just really, really, really briefly in terms of bank earnings, what you're looking for. Look, the first number you want to look for is your return on equity. You want that to be in excess of 10. percent We've talked on this show a lot about in the past why that is, but it's basically that if a bank is earning more than 10% a return on equity, then it's creating value. If it's not earning that much, then it's destroying value. Um, so then you'll just want to start there and then work your way backwards through revenue and expenses and loan loss provisions to kind of figure out you know, if it is exceeding that target, why it's exceeding that target. And if it's not, you can kind of tease out why it's not. Exactly. And when you're doing this, though, Although it's super important to have the numbers, the numbers by themselves don't mean anything. Something that you have to keep in mind is that each bank has a story. That story is particular to that bank, and it's that means that the numbers um, need to be understood in the context of that story. Additionally, banks don't exist in a vacuum. There's not just one bank, right? We have multiple banks, so you kind of have to understand what's going on with the industry on as a whole to understand exactly what's going on with one bank. That is a fundamental point that investors need to appreciate, and particularly in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Because you have like a Bank of America, right, who is still, even though it has made considerable strides over the last few years, it is still making its way out of the hole it dug before the financial crisis, and particularly because of the countrywide financial. So you're going to want to look at you know, how high are its expenses, what's its credit quality look like. Um, you, is there, you know, it, it set up an independent unit that it put bad assets into during the financial crisis, and it's then been reducing that ever since. Where are they at in that regard? And then if you look at Wells Fargo, on the other hand, whereas Bank of America is a progress report from its recovery from the financial crisis, Wells Fargo 
it didn't really need to recover from the financial crisis. So what you're going to want to be looking for at, at a bank like that is you know, just slow and steady loan growth and deposit growth, you know, wide margins, return on equity, how's its net interest margin doing, all those types of things. So to Gabby's point, when you're looking at these uh, banks and analyzing their earnings, it's not just a mechanical approach. You also kind of have to have some context around where these companies are right now to really draw out the substance of those numbers. Absolutely. And kind of as an example, let's let's dig a little bit deeper into Bank of America. I mean, they had some they've they have uh, they had a giant expense in legal issues, which presumably has gone down considerably um, since the, that court case cleared in New York. Right. And so the the big thing with Bank of America and Bank of America, I know we talk about Bank of America a lot on this show. And, and the reason we talk about it is so much is because it is by far the most heavily traded stock on the New York Stock Exchange, and it is owned by a large swath of individual investors. So, you know, other than your Apples and stuff like that, Bank of America is one of the most popularly owned stocks um, in the country right now. So when you're talking about Bank of America in particular, you're going to want to look at a couple of different things. Number one, you have your stress test coming up on September 30th. They had to resubmit their, their proposal to increase how, how much capital they're going to increase uh, or return to shareholders over the next year. And that is normally submitted in March. And they did submit one in March, but then they had, they had some issues with us. They had to resubmit it by September 30th. So you're going to want to listen to any color they provide around that. You're going to want to listen to, in the second quarter of this year, Brian Moynihan really switched from defense to offense. And the question is, did he do it prematurely or are they really on the offense now? So you're going to want to listen to his conversation about, you know, is he really focusing still on expenses or really has he shifted over to trying to figure out how to grow revenue? So I just want to I just want to insert real quick there. So when when you say uh, switch from defense to offense. So before Bank of America had, like I said, a lot of legal issues to deal with. They had a lot of assets that weren't performing. So that was when Bank of America was working defensively. Um, in some of the more recent call transcripts, Brian Moynihan has been uh, reacting more offensively, so talking about how to raise revenue instead. Sorry, That's continue. exactly right. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. And, and if you look at Bank of America's numbers, it's now, it's expense-based when you, when you kind of normalize it for size with, say, a Wells Fargo, which is a notoriously efficient bank. In the second quarter, their expense bases were pretty much even. It was the revenue now that Bank of America trails so far behind Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan, and that is why its, its return on equity is so much lower um, than those other banks. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the banks are, are also having an interesting quarter, um, especially the big ones. Um, I think one of the things that we talked about before was that the Fed didn't raise the interest rate, and in this low interest rate environment, a lot of the banks are saying that their revenue is going to be down because they can't make as much on loans. That, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And this is a point you, you brought up at the beginning of the episode that, look, one way that banks make money, and particularly these big banks generate about half of the revenue from this, is that they just go out and borrow a whole bunch of money, right, and then pay really low interest rates to their depositors or into institutional investors. And then they take that same exact money and they invest it in higher interest earning assets. And then so when you arbitrage your low interest rates against your higher interest rates, you're going to make a lot of money there, particularly when you consider that most banks are leveraged by a factor of 10 to 1. Well, one of the problems in the aftermath of the financial crisis is that interest rates have basically never been this low for this long before in the history of the United States, at least not that I can see, um, when you take the data back as far back as you can go. And that is putting a lot of pressure on the profitability of those asset portfolios, which is reducing revenue. So that, that's just another thing. Now, 
you know, it's kind of the same thing we've seen for the past few quarters. But the question is, is the revenue still on a downward trend as a result of that for the industry, or has it turned around a little bit or leveled out? Right. And just to tie this back into the beginning of the episode, um, this is what uh, Maxfield and I meant when we said that you needed to understand what was going on with the industry as a whole, as well as what was going on with the bank. Exactly. This is exactly right. And, and interest rates, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, what's going on with interest rates. This is why it matters for banks. And then just one more thing um, that you're going to want to be watching for, or let me, let me, two more things you're going to want to be watching <laughs> for in terms of just the industry overall. Again, trading income, we talked about this last, last uh, show, but all the big banks that have large trading operations, so you're talking about Wells Fargo, or not, you're talking about J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Citigroup, all came out in the last few weeks and said, look, look given everything that's going on in the, in, in the most recent quarter, volatility was down, volume was down, our trading income is going to be 5 6% lower. That doesn't mean that revenue is going to be 5 to 6% lower because trading, you know, it only makes up you know, between 5 and 10% depending on the bank of their overall revenue. Um, but that is just another thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you see these figures starting to come out. And then just, just the last thing is that, like, any time you're talking about banks, kind of the underlying engine or loan is, is loan and deposit growth. So you, you just always want to see, you know, is, this, is one bank growing its loans and its deposits kind of in line with its competitors and in line with pa- previous trends, or is it not? And then digging into the reasons uh, why or why not it is. Great. Thank you. I think that this was a very complete uh, overview and kind of an uh, we, we gave people a good idea of how to think about earnings coming up. Um, I want to remind our listeners that, as always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thank you very much for joining us, and have a great day. 